Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Woo! The five-star reviews are in and it's confirmed. Savewithconrad.com can save you thousands. Jimmy E. writes that we saved his family more than $1,000 a month. James S. says we saved his family more than $1,200 a month. But how much can you save? It's free to find out right now at savewithconrad.com. But if you've got a second mortgage, if you've got credit card debt, or even worse, if you're in a 30-year loan, it's not a matter of if we can save you money, but a matter of how much at savewithconrad.com. are about to be spoken here on the extreme life of matt hardy presented to you exclusively by podcast heat and ad free shows i of course am john alba joined as i am every single week by the broken one the woken one the spoken one himself mr matt hardy matt what's going on my friend (laughs) uh just uh dealing with this crazy week man it has been yeah insane week and i sit here right now in buffalo dynamite just wrapped up and uh we're uh redoing the opening of the podcast there for very appropriate yes. reasons i would say yes uh so to peel back the curtain matt and i had taped the full wwecw oh, episode about a week and a half ago almost now and we spoke very generically about things that happened at all out and uh well it's a pivot, Matt Hardy, because a lot of stuff has changed in that week and a half since then. And we will address some of that here on the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. First off, I want to say a big thank you to all of the top guys that I got to hang out with at Top Guy Weekend. It was a lot of fun. There were a lot of V1 picks taken, Matt Hardy. People were very, <laughs> very into that. I can tell you that. And lots of kind words saw, for the extreme life of Matt Hardy. I saw a lot of those. It was great. There were a lot of V1s. Conrad put over the work that you and I do, so that was greatly appreciated. Oh, okay. And and the we very game. much appreciate the, the pod father himself put us over so uh, it was it was outstanding indeed and before we talk about the order of business we have a few orders of business on our own here on the extreme life of matt hardy because matt we are announcing a new contest where if you happen to leave us a review and we maybe pick from it after you share it with us at Matt Hardy Pod, at Matt Hardy Brand, at John Alba on social media. Well, then you're going to win something special. You're going to win a customized, personalized 
an authentic video from both Matt Hardy and I. A special shout out to you. But Matt, there is a caveat. How many stars do they have to leave us? Hmm, let me think about it for a second. Five, cinco, five, cinco, five stars. Leave it now. You leave it now. You take a screenshot. You share it. You'll be entered to win a customized, personalized video from Matt and I here at the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. And if you've already submitted a review long ago, take a screenshot again. Send it to us again. We want to see them again. We like, we're, we're very self-indulgent. We want to see yeah. all those. <laughs> but, Matt, the whole five cinco, five cinco, five gimmick. Well, it's not just for the reviews, because what else do we got for our Extreme Life of Matt Hardy listeners? Um. It's kind of become a cult favorite on here. And uh, we have the five, cinco, five, cinco, five star review. New T-shirt just being yes. released right now and it's badass. It is badass. Boxagimmicks.com. Get your five, cinco, five, cinco, five star T-shirt. I had everyone, again, Top Guy Weekend. They, they, were, they were hitting the greatest hits, Matt. They were hitting yeah. the, the V1. They were hitting five, cinco, five, cinco, five. And there were a lot of whale hails. So whale hail, Alba. <laughs> you gotta hit all those greatest hits here on the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. Boxagimmicks.com. Go get that t-shirt. Go get Matt Fact, Matt Fiction. Go get spoken Matt Hardy. Go get let it play out and go get the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy t-shirt right now. Boxagimmicks.com. And we're talking about customized videos. Even if you don't win, you can still get a customized video from Matt Hardy at Cameo.com. And guess what, Matt Hardy? I'm on Cameo now. I don't understand how this happened. Oh, my God. Congratulations, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Get your John Alba Cameo ASAP. Yes, as soon as uh, possible. Significantly cheaper than the Matt Hardy Cameo. So if you, <laughs> if you, if you want the... Uh, diet extreme life of matt hardy experience i've got you <laughs> but i encourage you to check out matt's cameo as well so lots of exciting things abound there but let's talk about chicago matt at least what we can talk about because well, first off i'll ask you this what do you think of the all-out pay-per-view itself uh the pay-per-view was incredible it was an amazing pay-per-view from top to bottom one of the best pay-per-views eight has ever done, I think. These 15 match cards are really long, and I could do without a few of them all in one night. I think if you showcased some of those higher profile matches on a go home dynamite or a go home rampage, I do think they would be just as effective. But with that said, with the caliber of performances from everyone on the roster, there were some incredible incredible matches and i'll ask you about this first we got to talk about the acclaimed man something very special is happening with the acclaimed right now isn't there yeah yeah people are into the acclaimed in a major massive way what do you think of the work they've been doing uh i enjoy it i i think they they they're super entertaining and their act is all over the whole scissor me deal uh, the thing they did with the guns was really beneficial for them. And on top of that, they're they're low-key, really, really good in the rain, too. Really, really solid. You know, they have great matches. I mean, but I think what makes them excel as an act more than anything is just their entertainment factor. 
it reminds me of when two cools dance and when the five second pose, when those things really started to get over and every audience is starting to really get into those things. How does that help elevate an act to the next level? I, I mean, it, ju it just helps fans connect with an act more. I mean, between the Max Caster raps and just uh, just their their entertainment, they are so entertaining together. And the whole thing about you know, scissor me, daddy ass, would you know, it's just it's outrageous, but it's outrageous in the best way possible. And and people are just they're so into it, man. It it is caught on and it is on fire right now. Have you ever scissored daddy ass? I have never scissored daddy ass. You've known daddy ass a long time. I have known Daddy Ass a long time. Well, I think Daddy Ass just started getting into scissoring. So, you know, never had the opportunity. <laughs> would you, just never scissored him. Would you scissor Daddy Ass should you have the chance to? Uh, you know, never say never in this business, John. Anything can happen. <laughs> well, hell. <laughs> <laughs> well, hell, I can't believe it now. A grown-ass man is scissoring people on live television. Outstanding. Outstanding. Well, it's yeah. a travesty. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> talk about a bygone era, man. Holy moly. Things would be a whole lot different there had that been the case. But uh, okay, so the acclaim, they're getting over. This, this is a, a really strong show. I thought Dax Harwood had that fantastic moment with his daughter, which was really, really oh, nice. That was, that was so great. I told him that today. I thought that was a great moment. So it, good. it really was. And we saw a new AEW world champion crowned in CM Punk. We saw mm -hmm. new trios champions crowned in the Young Bucks. And we have a pivot. There was an incident that did occur. We still don't entirely know the details. And I very much respect that, you know, you as a company, there's an investigation going on. It's been publicized. You guys can't really go into super detailed information on that uh i i was there in the press conference that yes. kind of caught everybody's attention you actually asked a couple questions if i'm not mistaken right? i i asked several questions in this press yeah. conference yeah. and you know i want to start by saying this matt i i appreciate aw doing media availabilities i think it's a good thing right. for the industry i think that because and you and i have talked about this in the past Pro wrestling is in this insulary bubble sometimes. Sure. That people don't realize that stuff like what happened does happen in real life sports and in real life newscasts. Like I've I've been targeted in press conferences dozens of times by athletes or coaches. This is not an abnormal thing, but I think it was to the extent that things happened in a very public form in pro wrestling that took a lot of people by surprise. I'd have to imagine that it was something that was fairly alarming for all of you guys. Again, I know you can't go into super detail here, but it certainly must have raised some eyebrows. Sure, of course it did. I mean, it it, uh, it certainly took a lot of people by surprise, too, especially because we did a complete refresh you know, on the dynamite that was going to follow that week because we reset our champions. Yeah. Wow. I thought this episode of dynamite was tremendous. And I'll tell you why I thought it was tremendous because my favorite stories to cover Matt in my career are when people have to overcome adversity. 
because when people have to overcome adversity, it generally brings out the best of them. Those primal instincts, if you will, where it is fight or flight. And I felt that we saw that from AEW, where it highlighted the things that make AEW a great company and pushed aside the things that we've been hearing about so much in the media. Do you have any thoughts on that? I think that Wednesday was a good day to eat another human being that's weaker than you. They did a a really good job at eating weaker humans tonight. They believe in the food chain. Uh, No, I, I, uh, I I do agree with you. Uh, And I think considering they almost like, uh, you know, erased the blackboard and started from scratch. And I thought they had a hell of a show tonight. I thought dynamite was fantastic. I know that, People like to get in the whole weeds of the drama. That is obviously going to be what sells. And I'll be real with you, Matt. When all the chaos was going down in the press conference and I see a security guard darting through the doors, it it really is something that is probably going to sit with me for the rest of my career, honestly. But I was most interested to see how the company would respond. And that's still not quite entirely established yet. But one thing I know that is guaranteed whenever I watch AEW, I am guaranteed to get good professional wrestling. I will always get good wrestling. I just think, my opinion here, editorializing, that if the company can really focus on driving that home and investing in these characters now that there are opportunities to invest in some of these characters with some other people away, I think that can be taking the worst of a bad situation and turning it into the best for your future. Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, no, I, I, I agree with you. I agree with that sentiment. I think that there is an opportunity now to really make some new stars. And that can be very exciting in terms of injecting life into a TV program. We saw Daniel Garcia. I mean, what did you think of his match with Wheeler Yuta? I mean, it was just a, a, a tremendous wrestling match. And, and, I, and I love the fact that it was contested under, you know, uh, the, the pure title rules and the pure wrestling match. And what two better guys to have in that match than Daniel Garcia or Wheeler Yuta? You know, what, what, what a great match. And what a great moment for Daniel Garcia in his hometown of Buffalo. So very, very happy for him, very proud of him as well. I'm very curious your thoughts on this because I've known Daniel for a very long time now. Mm-hmm. Who do you see in him? What influences do you see in him? That's a, that's a good question. I, I see some, uh, I, I see a little bit of a Dean Malenko in him is, is weird as, is, is weird as that sounds, but also I feel like he, he's much more like a, an MMA or, you know, a UFC fighter in some ways as well. But I, I see some of his mannerisms and some of his just body language reminds me of Dean Malenko. There are three guys I see. Daniel Garcia, Dean Malenko is one of them. Brian Danielson, mm-hmm. another. And yeah. truthfully, I see a lot of Chris Benoit style in Daniel Garcia. The intensity. He's yeah. one of the most intense wrestlers in the business today. And right. I think that he embodies the good qualities in ring wise of all three of those guys. So I was curious what you'd have to say on that front. And then you and I briefly talked about too Hangman Page and Brian Danielson. What a freaking wrestling match. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Great, great wrestling match. 
Just and 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 that was the the first time that Danielson has beaten Hangman, right? If I'm not mistaken, they had the big draw that they went to, and then Hangman beat Danielson. Yep. Yeah. A, a very, very, very. I, Hangman is probably my favorite hybrid wrestler in the world right now. Old school style with the new school agility. Right. Special work there that he is doing. And oh, yeah, yeah he's, man. He's great, man. I can't say enough good things about him. And on top of just being great as a as a professional wrestler, like you said, the hybrid style that he kind of does combine some old school along with some new school. Uh, he's just, just a great human being, too. Just a good, good dude. I want to give you an opportunity here before we transition into what I promise everyone is a very, very entertaining episode. I really think you're going to like this WWE CW episode a lot. Yeah, me too. Is, is there anything else you would like to add on any of the things that have happened in AEW? Your 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 pal CLP, uh, he's hurt now. We're here in anything else you want to add or hit on? Uh, was Jungle Boy said tonight, he's going to be going out to have surgery. So hopefully, uh, you know, even though he is my enemy, he's my frenemy. So hopefully he has a speedy recovery. Um, I, I just thought that uh, Tony Khan did a good job reshuffling the deck and getting a, a great dynamite tonight. It's going to be really interesting to see what the rating ends up being, you know, when we find that out late Thursday as well. Because I would imagine there was so much buzz on AEW all week and, you know, buzz is buzz, and it makes a lot of people want to tune in to AAW. So I'm very mm-hmm. curious of, of what kind of numbers it did last night. And, and fortunately, the show was a, a great show, too. Do you have sympathy for the devil? <laughs> uh, I, I enjoy the devil's work, so I do have sympathy for the devil, I, I, I would say. AAW is a lot better with MJF on TV, and that's a good thing for everybody. He's yeah. a special, special talent, and I'm ex- I'm very curious, Matt Hardy, to see how it all plays out. Yes, me too. Uh, and now at, at Arthur Ashe, we're crowning a, a, a new world champion. So that's going to be, that's going to be exciting. And that's a, that's a good, real good hook for that show as well. I think, I think it's a really good hook to, to, to crown the new world champion, Arthur Ashe, really making a special night. Matt Hardy, we are talking about WWE CW this week on the extreme life of Matt Hardy. So with that said, hit us with that Matt fact. Matt fact, Matt prefers to work out after he wakes up. I believe that's a Dolph Ziggler-ism, a, a empty stomach cardio. He likes yeah, no. You know how that goes, too. I, I, I fast. I, I try not to eat late. Uh, I, I eat a little later than I would have liked to have eaten last night. Sometimes it's different on work days. I, I really am very disciplined whenever I'm at home, whenever I'm fasting. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I am a big believer and a, a true subscriber to getting up and working out on an empty stomach makes a huge difference. So that, that is what I do. Even this morning, I had to start my appearances at 10 a.m. I made sure to set my alarm for 7.45 a.m. I got up and I worked my ass out. Burn those calories, man. Trying to drop those LPs. Does it take a little bit to roll out of bed for you? Do you need like 15 minutes to kind of Yeah, <laughs> for sure. For sure. It takes a little while to kind of like get things going. And then I take a little pre-workout, kind of gets my day going. I know I've got like after I – actually take the pre-workout i have like 15 minutes before it starts burning so i got to be down at the gym within 15 minutes or so so i I give myself a good little window when i was with you and ec3 in the hotel room in orlando you guys had like a 10 minute conversation about pre-workouts and supplements and stuff and i was like 
yeah, I got like a bottle of Arnold Palmer out <laughs> outside. So we're on a little different wavelengths, but that's that's why my cameo is like fifteen dollars and yours is like eighty or whatever it is. So yeah, we, we, we were speaking in a foreign language. <laughs> Very much so. Mm-hmm. That's okay. The only thing that I will ever run to is a grill. So that's uh, <laughs> okay. Anyway, I like that. Good mad fact. And this is going to be a fun episode here, yeah. taking a little look into WWE CW, your run as ECW champion, and talk a little bit about a promotion that has so much lore around your era of wrestling. And that, of course, is ECW. Mm-hmm. Eastern Championship Wrestling is branded in 1992 by Todd Gordon out of Philadelphia from the Tri-State Wrestling Alliance. And a year later, a guy named Paul Heyman takes over as Booker Freddie Gilbert and rebrands it as Extreme Championship Wrestling. Around that time, Shane Douglas wins the NWA World Heavyweight Championship, which had been the championship of the promotion, and he throws it on the ground. And the group of rebels is officially born. It's a very famous clip. This is right around when you're getting your career off the ground. You've been in the business uh, about a couple of years at this point. When do you first? That's right. When do you first remember hearing about ECW? I remember hearing the buzz about ECW like 1994ish, but it, it really set in because in 1995, my dad got TV. And we had the MSG network. And that, oh, is where, that is where we got ECW very, very late at night. And we would definitely stay up to watch it. Interesting. I'm surprised it was airing on the MSG network. I know they had the deals yeah. with like Sportsnet Philadelphia or whatever it was. You're right. That's, that's okay. So you were able to get some ECW. And what did you think of the product on first impression? Oh, man. It was, it, it was just like so, so dark, so raw. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it because it was very different. From anything else we're getting in pro wrestling, I, I love just how I, I just love the the presentation of it. How it was so gritty in so many ways. I, that, that's what I dug more than anything else about ECW. Well, ECW takes off in the mid nineties, and by nineteen ninety seven, the company is actually working under the table with Vince McMahon in a co promotion. You guys are going in and out of wwf at the time new york and mm-hmm. the italian stallion george south we've talked about that at length in the archives did you ever have any interaction with any ecw crew or talent during that time as enhancement talent a little bit it's so funny that you said new york i just remember when all the indie guys back in the day said oh brother you guys getting booked up in new york or oh brother you're getting booked for the for for the uh for the fed you know brother you're going up to new york yeah we did we had some interaction with them and, and, and a very funny story do you remember when they did one of the earliest spots uh, of the ECW, WWF, like uh, when they were working together? And uh, Savio Vega was out there. He was having a match with actually, well, hell, JBL. And Sandman blew beer in his face. Oh. So that was in Philadelphia, right? We yes. were booked. We were booked for those tapings. And we were there. We had uh, worked the event, whatever. And then afterwards, we left and we went to a Hooters. And we were eating dinner. It was myself, Jeff Hardy. Jason Arndt, Marty Garner, uh, our little crew. And uh, during that time while we were sitting in there eating, all of a sudden, the Sandman, Tommy Dreamer, Boss Mahoney, and Raven walked in. That's a crew. And and this was the night after Sandman had spit the beer in his face, right? So we were sitting there, and all of a sudden, we decided, like, oh, we should go like introduce ourselves and tell them we were at WWE, whatever. And I remember we went and we spoke to them, introduced ourselves. Hey, we're wrestlers, and we do this, we do that. And we were booked as extras tonight. And I just remember Raven was going, what the guys in the back say? 
so, so what the guys in the back say? What the guys in the back say? Huh? Were they, were they hot? Were they mad? What they think? What they say? Because this was pretty much on the big kayfabe, right? And Sandman was obliterated when we talked to him, obviously. Which <laughs> hey, you got to live the gimmick, Matt. You got to live the gimmick. You got to live the gimmick. And then Sandman said, "Oh, you guys are wrestlers." He said, "We're looking for new people at ECW." He said, "I'm going to give you guys my phone number and my address." He said, "If you guys got a demo tape or whatever, send it to me, and and you know I, I want to watch it, especially if you guys are getting booked for WWE. So we might get, get a spot for you." Plus, I have an international tour where I'm going to be running the Middle East very soon, and I might can book you guys online. It's going to be like a through tour. So we're like, oh, man, that's so cool. Sam, man, like, reached out to us. And we, uh, myself and Jeff, sent, like, our demo tapes, our, our VHS demo tapes to him. And uh, it's so funny. We got a call, like, at 3 a.m. in the middle of the night at our dad's house. And our dad picked up the phone, the legend, right, Claude G. And he goes, you son of a bitch, what are you doing calling here at 3 a.m., you piece of shit? I'm in the bed. I got to get up and run the mail route in the morning. And he said, oh, oh. I'm just trying to talk to Serge and Will the Wisp. Are they there? And he's like, who? He said, uh, I don't, their name's Hardy something, the Hardy guys. Are they there? And I said, what the fuck? This is way too late to be calling. It's 3 a.m. in the damn morning. You shouldn't call past 9 p.m. And we actually went out and grabbed the phone. And Sandman got super excited. He said, oh, my God, I love this. these matches you're having. Serge versus Will the Wisp, the stuff you're doing, whatever. He said, I definitely want to book you on my Middle East tour, he said, and, and I'll bring you a new ECW for a trial. But uh, th that never followed through when it was all said and done, and then we ultimately ended up signing with WWE. But, yeah, we got a call from the Sandman after giving him a demo tape at 3 o'clock in the morning, and our dad was fucking furious about it. <laughs> I love that story. That's awesome. Sandman, oh, man. I, I, I had a chance to interview Sandman maybe back in 2016 or so. Uh -huh. He is... Every bit of the person that you saw on TV, there's no beating around the bush with a guy like Sandman. That That is exactly who he is. Right. And people are critical of him, sometimes with merit, sometimes without. But there's no denying there are a few people from that era that connected with fans like the way that Sandman did. Dude, he, he, he was so over for doing so little. I mean, literally the entrance music and making that entrance and being in the crowd and popping beers, he was over huge it was insane however yeah. it was yeah we'll talk about one night stand in a little bit but that entrance from one night stand 05 yeah it'd be one of the greatest wrestle wrestling pay-per-view entrances ever it's 100 yeah incredible so that's a cool little sandman story so when do you guys first remember meeting paul Heyman? i i would think knowing all these crazy stories about paul Heyman and right. his cadence that he would meet you guys and probably take a liking to you but maybe i'm wrong when do you first remember meeting him? The first time I officially remember meeting Paul Heyman was after he came to work in WWE, after ECW shut down. Okay. So so we didn't meet him before, although he, he was familiar with us because apparently Hack or Sandman had, did show him those tapes, and he was, like, into it. And there was a point where we were still – his international tour didn't work out that, that Sandman was doing. And there was a point where he was talking about booking us at ECW. But by the time he officially got around and got permission to, like, get us – to be booked and, and be at ECW, we'd already signed a developmental deal with WWE. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about 
how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Hey, real quick, want to give a shout out to James up in Stoneville, North Carolina. He's a friend of the show. Hell, he's a friend of the family now. We were able to go ahead and help his family recently save more than $1,200 a month. Really think about this. My man, Robbie, didn't save $1,200 one time. He's going to save it each and every month, all because he went to save with Conrad.com. He left us a five-star review earlier this week, and he said this. From the first phone call with Christian, all the hard work Diane put in, Jennifer taking time to explain things and help me understand where we were at with the deal, right up to Steve helping me get this survey through, nothing but professionalism all around. Dealing with First Family has helped us to the point we've cut $1,200 a month off our bills. I can't say enough about the team Conrad has assembled. I highly recommend First Family to anyone looking to purchase or refinance their home Thanks to Conrad and the entire First Family team. No, thank you, James, for the great review. And congratulations on saving 1200 bucks a month. And oh, by the way, you can skip your next two house payments. It's real, folks. Savewithconrad.com can help you. We're licensed in more than 40 states. But if you've got credit card debt, if you're looking to save money on your monthly payments, if you're looking to pay your house off faster, or even buy a house with no money down, savewithconrad.com is your hookup. Holler if you hear me. That's savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. And oh, by the way, you don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. What are you waiting for? Find out how much money you can save for free at savewithconrad.com. Let's talk about the type of guy that Paul Heyman is. A, a legendary manager in his own right, a fantastic broadcaster, but known perhaps most for being the promoter and booker for ECW. There have been so many people in wrestling lore that have said this is one of the smartest guys ever in the history of the business, but he's also made a lot of enemies as well. Where do you stand on Paul Heyman? Paul, Paul Heyman is the ultimate motivator. That, that is how I, I describe him. And you can see why he got his guys to do what they did, you know, and, and he was really good at highlighting people's strengths. Like, to, to get an act like 911 over as much as he got 911 over, right? You know, literally come out, choke slam, kill people. To get Sandman over, like he got Sandman over, where obviously he wasn't like the greatest athlete or the greatest worker in the world, but he understood how to make this entrance work and, and milk it for all, make this entrance work and milk it for all it was worth. And he was able to get acts over. One of the one of the things that I one of my most fond memories of Paul Heyman was whenever we had the match, whenever Jeff beat Triple H for the Intercontinental title, and we ended up doing a, a short little feud with the, the two-man power trip. There was a deal where it was Triple H, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Stephanie McMahon versus Team Extreme, and the whole point of this match was to get them over his heels because they just had the deal where Steve had, had turned on the rock and beat him up, and, and he didn't get booed the way they wanted him to get booed, and they were trying to turn him heel. So we're like, well, let's get some who, – who are the ultimate white meat baby faces we can get him to beat up? And they said, oh, let's go with Team Extreme. So they went with us. So we had the match. We defeat them in the match. Uh, we defeat them in the match, actually. And at the end, they, they destroy us with chairs and beat us down. And whenever the camera stopped rolling, there was a point. It was in Boston, by the way. This match was in Boston. There was a point where the crowd started throwing 
cups and trash into the ring. And it was like very reminiscent being there. It felt like the NWO moment whenever Hulk Hogan turned. It was a cool moment. It wasn't that extreme, but it was a very cool moment. And people knew like, oh, man, like this was a, a big deal. Like it was legit heat, really good heat. And I'll never forget that we came back and Paul Heyman said, sir, I have to tell you what happened tonight. That is one of the biggest things that happened in wrestling since the NWO. It was massive. It was incredible. And I remember thinking in the back of my mind, like, come on, dude. Like, don't work me. Just say it was, like, great. But I, I, remember it, I, I can see how he was such a motivator because he would tell people things like that that they wanted to hear, that they needed to hear to continue to, to drive forward and, and keep doing what they were doing. I'm just hearing Paul Heyman say that in that thick New York Jewish yeah, yeah. cadence. It was one of the most outstanding. And, oh, I – that's yeah. so great. I love that. Bruce what Pritchard. happened tonight was one of the biggest things to happen in this <laughs> industry. Things in W.O. It's happened in this industry. <laughs> in W.O. Yeah. Bruce Pritchard's Paul Heyman is uh, pretty fantastic. Go check out something to wrestle. I, I just feel like more than anything else, Paul Heyman knew exactly what buttons to push on talent when it came time to motivate them. To, to get them to go out and, and do exactly what he wanted. Them. But one thing we've always heard about Paul Heyman, and we saw this a little with CM Punk, you even alluded to it last week, is that sometimes when someone pushes too hard for you, that can sour other people's opinions of that talent. Sure. Did Paul Heyman ever find himself in positions like that? I, I'm, sh I'm sure he did once working for WWE because it's a very different system. It's, it's very different working for Vince McMahon than it is for running w, uh, running ECW, you know. So, yeah, I, I, I'm sure there were times where Paul Heyman absolutely, you know, absolutely rubbed people the wrong way in the WWE office. So they did express interest in bringing you in to ECW full-time. Well, they, 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 they expressed interest in bringing us in to have a trial with ECW okay. or have a, a trial run with ECW. Is there anyone from the ECW Originals gang that, you think you and Jeff could have torn it down with, whether it's a singles or a tag team, anyone in particular? We actually got to wrestle Sabu and RBD on, a, on an independent show in Greenville, North Carolina, which was very cool. And we had a great match with them. It was very intimidating, by the way. That was early on in our career. But those would be the first two guys that, that, that come to mind whenever I think about the, the original ECW crew. Sabu is a madman, an absolute madman. And yeah. Ever have any crazy interactions with him that are shareable on this podcast? Or, uh, I mean, yeah, yeah, I, I, I have had some very interesting interactions with Sabu, for instance. I, I remember whenever they tried to kind of revive ECW in 2013, 2014 with the Extreme Rising group, there was a point where, and this is like once I You're talking about TNA here for the record. No, 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 no. This it was called oh, Extreme. Extreme Rising promotion. Oh, okay, yes, 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 yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was called Extreme Rising. Yes, uh, and, and and they were trying to kind of recapture that ECW magic, basically, you know. And they used a lot of the ECW crew, and then they they had brought me in, and I was utilizing a lot of their major shows. I, I wrestled Shane Douglas in a match. I main evented with Jerry Lynn in a match, which was a, a lot of fun. It was very cool to get to wrestle Jerry Lynn. By the way, wrestled Sabu in a big main event on one of the shows. But I, I'll never forget one of the, the first Extreme Rising shows that I did. And this is after I had got back together and all cleaned up and whatnot. I remember I come in and Sabu was uh, – it was, it was pretty altered at this point. He said, hey, man, 
you got some somas. I know you and your brother, you guys have pills and stuff. You have some. I said, like, no, I don't, I don't take anything. Said, don't lie to me, man. Don't lie to me. I know you have some. I said, I don't. Like, I'm legit. I'm, like, clean. And, and he goes, don't lie to me. I know you have some. I know all about you and your brother. I know all about you and your brother. And I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't. And eventually I just had to walk away from him. So he was just, he was, uh, he, he was checking in with me. So that, that's about as, uh, mm. as intense of a story as I can. It sounds about as on brand. Very on brand story from <laughs> what you would be led to believe about right. Sabu. But again, Sabu is a guy that connected. There's no doubting that he connected. And for whatever reason, I always felt like, and we can get into this in, in a little bit here, but Vince kind of had a liking for Sabu at some point. Uh, Sabu wrestled John Cena one-on-one and in a yeah. pretty big match. So Vince did take to some of these guys, which is so fascinating. And I can't wait to dig into this more. So ECW goes out of business April 4, 2001, officially. Mm-hmm. Paul Heyman's already in WWE. It's a pretty contentious situation. What do you remember about the closing of ECW just a week after the sale of WCW? How were the boys in the industry feeling at the time with the two most prominent places outside of WWE closing shop? Man, everybody in the WWE hated it. <laughs> I mean, we, we knew it wasn't good for the industry. We knew it wasn't good for the talent. We knew uh, it was going to take away a lot of our leverage as far as like trying to get better deals or, or trying to make more money. So we hated to see the competition go under. And obviously we bought WCW and then ECW went out of business. So it was what it was, but we, we were not fond of it. None of the WWE talent was. Plus you've got all this talent out there now that you have to worry about coming for your spots as well. Sure. And there's good talent out there outside of Jurassic Sandbag, but that's besides the point. We're not going to bury anyone here or anything. That guy's, too old. that guy's too old to talk about. That's true. Not going to bury anyone. He's so. older than the Bible. We don't want to go that far back. <laughs> and the Bible is old, <laughs> let me tell you. Uh, so the brand is briefly resurrected as part of the invasion angle in 2001. The night it returns, it's probably the hottest night of the entire invasion angle. Right. Heyman leads the former ECW guys, many of who were already in WWE, into battle. Ultimately, we know that this does fizzle out, but this did temporarily work in terms of injecting some life into the invasion. What did you think of the decision to do that? I, I thought it was okay. I mean, I, considering it was like, you know, I hated the way the invasion was played, where WCW didn't have its own show, it didn't have its own platform, and WCW guys were constantly on WWE programming. And there was a point where every match was like WWE versus WCW. And, and I, I feel like it just, it, it never had the feel of a dream feud or dream program that it should have had. And I feel like adding and injecting ECW into the mix and making the alliance, it made it more interesting for sure. Was it done perfectly? No, it wasn't because it would have been, it would have been much better if people would have been the people that would have been viewing this whole program would go, oh, wow, these are all different entities. There is WWE, and they are taking on WCW along with ECW. But it really just seemed like now WCW and ECW were part of WWE. And I think that just watered it down so, so much. And, and it took away so much of the of the dream appeal. And it was done on such short notice, too. If I'm not mistaken, I think it was a week after the ill-fated Buff Bagwell-Booker team match that main evented Raw. That was the nail in the coffin for the WCW relaunch. Right. So they just on a week's notice were like, actually, let's do this. Let's let's bring yeah. ECW in and 
I mean, hey, it gave us Rob Van Dam, so that's kind of cool, I guess. But but outside of that, it's eh, not great, man. And as you said, the invasion ultimately turns into let's put the McMahon era out of business. Right. right. That that's super. Seed. What maybe one day we'll do a story on on the invasion angle. I think I do have something scheduled for later in the year on that because I would love to get into how we could have made the invasion better because it could have been amazing. It could have been great. It, it, it could have been. And it, and it really is. It's so disappointing that it didn't get to live up to its expectations. So the brand goes dormant for a while after Survivor Series 2001, but the rise and fall of ECW DVD comes out in 2005. And it actually becomes one of the highest selling wrestling DVDs of all time. The fan high. base, the fan base, they, they quite literally, Matt, they will ECW yeah. back from the dead. True. What do you think made their base so passionate? Because without that response, none of this even happens. And right. how do we see that live on in wrestling today? Because I do believe there are still ramifications felt from that. I mean, wrestling fans are extremely passionate fans. And you can tell the people who loved ECW. And ECW, it was like a precursor to the Attitude Era. you know. And I think the Attitude Era borrowed a lot of ECW's qualities early on, you know, sure. People always are going to go back and talk about the Monday night wars and, you know, WWE versus WCW and how that catapulted wrestling to the next level. But also ECW was very important in that equation. A lot of the aspects of ECW were ushered in into the attitude era. So the people who loved ECW back in the day, they, they never stopped loving it. And they, they were absolutely passionate through and through and through and through. And if there was a glimmer of hope, that ECW, like the original ECW, was going to come back. Those people were there to support it. Did you ever attend a show with an original ECW crowd? I did not. No, I did not. So everything was from watching tape and seeing mm -hmm. that. Yeah. It's pretty surreal. Like, I think of the clips with them throwing the chairs into the ring. and oh, What an amazing clip. Incredible. Uh, right? And... The ECW arena. I know you've been to the ECW arena since it was renovated, but did you ever go to the original arena before it was touched up? I, I did not. I yeah. mean, the, the the first time I went to the ECW arena was probably 2013, 2014. Okay. I would guess, yeah. I, I got a chance to work in the ECW arena a couple months ago, and it was one of the coolest shows I've ever been on. Even though it's been substantially renovated, you still feel the history when you walk in there. For There's, sure. Is that one of the cooler venues you've performed in? Uh, I mean, it, it was it was like for me just performing in the ECW arena. I mean, it felt like performing in MSG. It was like Madison Square Garden. It was like a bucket list moment for sure. And I did so many of Tommy Dreamer's House of Hardcore shows there. Mm -hmm. So I, I enjoyed it. I always enjoyed working in the ECW arena. So, so you did get somewhat of a taste with the House of Hardcore, and you mentioned the Extreme Rising. Yeah. A lot of those are similar fans that were there for the heyday of ECW. And sure. I, we could, we, you and I have talked on this podcast in the past. Connecticut doesn't necessarily have the greatest wrestling fans. Last week you put over how great the Chicago fans are. Philly fans are pretty great in their own right as well. Right. They're super passionate. Uh, always. They, they have been since day one. And they, they will let you know if they fucking hate you. So yeah, and <laughs> they're, they're extremely vocal and they don't hold back. I mean, whether they love you or they hate you, they do not hold back. And, you know, what? one of my favorite matches ever with the Young Bucks was at a House of Hardcore show. And that was the first time someone actually agreed to let us put the Young Bucks over. <laughs> that was, uh, you know, that, that was a deal. We, we worked them a couple times before and we wanted to do, 
we wanted the Young Bucks to beat us in our second match, but the promoter wouldn't let us locally. Uh, and Tommy Dreamer was totally down with letting the Young Bucks win. That was the first time Young Bucks beat the Hardy Boys at a House of Hardcore match at the ECW arena. And it's one of my favorite matches with those guys. What's your relationship like with Tommy Dreamer? He's somebody that I think a lot of people associate with the Mount Rushmore of ECW. He's pretty heralded for being a pretty creative guy in wrestling. And I would love to know your opinions on Tommy Dreamer. Great. Uh, I, I have lots of love for Tommy Dreamer. Ever since I met him when he first came to WWE and worked with him there, I'd always got along with him great. Got a great relationship. And uh, not only are we like, you know, business associates or colleagues, but also like I, I consider us very close friends, uh, a good guy. And I always enjoy hearing his perspective on things. He has a very fresh perspective on the wrestling industry. Well, he would be a big part of this relaunch of ECW. And on June 12th, 2005, one of the most historic nights in wrestling history takes place at the Hammerstein Ballroom in New York City. It is ECW One Night Stand. What were your thoughts when you first heard about that brand being relaunched for just a one-night-only pay-per-view, especially at the Hammerstein Ballroom? Uh, I mean, I was intrigued. Color me intrigued. Uh, I was very curious of what they're going to do because I knew ECW had such a, a loyal, diehard fan base, and, and the fans were so, so passionate, obviously. But sometimes WWE are going to WWE things. And I was like, are, are they going to WWE this ECW event? Or are they going to let it be, you know, a, a, a true, uh, a, a, a true, um, ECW pay per view. <laughs> a true existence to the old school ECW pay per view. Yeah. What did you think of the show itself? I thought I thought it was great because it was so unlike any WWE event you'll ever see. It was it was it was great. Yes, it was outstanding. It's one of the best shows ever. Period. But yeah. as far as it is relevant to you, you weren't in the company at the time. But yeah, Paul Heyman, Mister Shoot Promo himself, is kind of promo, and he's talking to Edge. And he's got two words for him. He says, hide your wives, it's Edge. I got two words for you, Matt freaking Hardy. Oh, three words. <laughs> the crowd goes nuts for right. it. What did you think when you heard that? I mean, that, that was that was super cool. Uh, it, it was super cool that he would, you know, shout me out like that. And, and also, I, I was at that point where I was starting to speak with WWE a little bit, and we were talking about coming back. So it, it was really cool. And here the reaction it got was, was awesome. It made you hotter. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, 100%. And it's an amazing pay-per-view. If you have not gone back and watched this show in full, guys, if you've never seen it or if you've only seen clips or even if you just haven't seen it in a long time, it is the essence of everything that was great about ECW in one night. So, you know, the, 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 the biggest thing that really stands out to me, remember all the chair shots? There was the match where there was chair shots to the head over and over and over and over again. And we're like, Jesus Christ, they would never allow that in like typical WWE programming. So you could tell that they were leaning into the original existence of ECW, Extreme Championship Wrestling. And that's what that's what made this event so special because they, they really like Vince kind of like took his hands off of it and let it be the original existence of ECW. Jericho takes an insane chair shot mm -hmm. in that match. Mike Awesome does as well. Oh boy, Austin is super over that night. It's a really fantastic show that everyone. A lot of fun, man. A lot of fun that show. So go check that show out if you have not already on the cock and go enjoy it. Now, it is reported because of the success of that show 
that there's some interest in resurrecting the brand permanently. And Shane McMahon actually pitches an idea to have it be an underground, low-budget, web-exclusive brand that highlights younger talent. It's going to look grittier in order to match the vibe of ECW. But instead, it's relaunched on television on Sci-Fi in the summer of 2006 after another one-night stand pay-per-view. What do you think of Shane's idea here? You've always been very well-connected with the Internet and the -the over-the-top platform idea. In some sense, when I hear that pitch, it it almost feels like how NXT started on the WWE Network, a little more low-budget underground. What what do you think about that idea for ECW? I I like it. I dig it. I think it it needs to be gritty. It needs to almost be grimy. It it can't be so overproduced like WWE is. You you don't need it to be super lit and and, and super crisp and super tight. It, It needs to be gritty. Because that, that, that was part of the appeal of the original ECW. So I, I, I dig Shane McMahon's idea. I subscribe to that. Yeah. Instead, it goes to TV. And at One Night Stand 2006, Rob Van Dam, who was Mr. Money in the Bank, he wins the WWE Championship, which he would rechristen as the ECW World Championship. And it's a big moment. I was personally thrilled about this. RVD is one of my all-time favorites. Right. I love his matches with your brother. Back in 2001, 2002, I thought they had great chemistry together. How'd the locker room feel about Rob finally getting his chance to run with the ball here? Uh, I'm sure there were some people that were against it because he was RVD. He was an ECW guy. And they said, oh, he's just a spot guy. You know, he does all these crazy kicks. And and I I do remember he got a lot of he got a lot of uh, flack and, and grief off just the stiffness of some of his kicks as well when he was coming up through the ranks. But. There were a lot of guys that really liked him, and they knew he was exciting. And and the most important thing is that he had a, a legitimate connection with the people, and that's that's the most important thing a wrestler can have. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's, it's kind of like that CM Punk thing you and I talked about last week where mm-hmm. you can push back all you want, but at some point it becomes undeniable when somebody right. connects with the crowd like that. Right. It's just as simple. Did Jeff like working with RVD? I feel like RVD is pretty much as crazy as Jeff is with some of the stunts, so they Love went well. Jeff loved it. Jeff and, and Rob love working each other, and, and they they fit like a hand on a glove. You know what I mean? Like a glove on a hand. They they fit fit together perfectly. They were they were two peas in a pod, man. They love working one another. Yeah, and he's the guy who's going to be the flag bearer here for the ECW brand as we head to TV. And the premiere is an absolute disaster. The first episode is June thirteenth, two thousand six. It sees moments like the zombies debut. Uh... That's one of my favorite memories from the first ECW show, obviously, The Zombie. Very, very, very WWE. What did you guys think about that when you all saw that? WWE is going to (laughs) WWE. That's what I thought. It was DOA, this product. was DOA the moment The Zombie walked out there. (sighs) Brutal. What a a weird decision. What, What a weird decision. I just I wonder who's that was originally. Was that a Vince call? Who knows? The the zombie being on the the sci-fi the, network on the initial episode of ECW was just so crazy. And that's probably why, right? The sci-fi network. That's yeah. probably why I was on there. They thought it would be a great crossover. <laughs> it's sci-fi. Let's have a zombie on the show. WWE is gonna WWE. We're making movies, pal. Yes, we're making movies. Uh, the Sam, this, this, 
the Sandman beats the shit out of him, but it is DOA. It's a small setup. They do change the aesthetic a little bit, which is a good thing. Right. But ECW rules don't even really exist unless it's specified in a match. These are the things that made ECW different. What was the sentiment of the locker room after the first episode in the first couple of weeks here, seeing that this is how the presentation is going to be? Did anybody believe there would be long-term sustainability to this? It, like as far as talent goes, I, I mean, I, I think they just felt like, okay, well, it's a, it's another show. Hopefully we can get TV time on it. You know, I, you know, WWE is going to promote it as WWE would. So I, I don't think people thought it was going to be a, a true throwback to the original ECW. They just thought it was going to be another show. So hopefully we can get some TV time on the show. I feel like that's how the majority of the locker room felt. But you see, that's not how the fans felt. And that's the problem. The locker room was probably being more realistic about it. Understandable. But sure. fans were promised ECW. They just got two pay-per-views right. of ECW. Even though the 2006 one was a little more WWE, it was still a very good show. And then they get this for the TV show, and it's not the same. And, and, and then they get ECW in the Upside Down, to make a Stranger Things reference, you know, where it was total opposite of what it typically would have been. Yeah. It was a zombie on the program. So there's a bad taste right off the bat for people. Right. Okay. There are a few success stories like CM Punk, as we saw. You could argue a guy like Johnny Nitro kind of found himself as John Morrison on ECW. He did. There's a few others that find success. But that's really Mark, about- Mark, Mark Henry did great on ECW, too. That, that's truly when I feel like Mark Henry came into his own. I loved working with him. He was so good at that time. And we'll get into Mark later on here as we get towards your run, and I'm excited to pick your brain on that. But for those little small victories, in August, here we are, less than two months after the launch of this, we're at the Hammerstein Ballroom again, and Big Show versus Batista is the main event. This is not what this crowd paid for when they bought tickets. They did not pay, with all due respect to Paul White and Dave Batista. That's not what they paid to see, and ratings are tanking. But, John, did the crowd let them know that's not what they paid to see? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they did let them know. It was and the crowd, to watch just for, that, just for that. And the crowd was not going to let it play out, which right. is a not shirt right. that you can get on theboxofgimmicks.com. Search the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. Get your spoken Matt Hardy T-shirt. Get your Matt Fact, Matt Fiction T-shirt or your Extreme Life of Matt Hardy T-shirt. What's your favorite one of our t-shirts that we have on sale, Matt Hardy. Uh, the Matt Fact, Matt Fiction. I think you like that one. Yeah, that, that, that's my favorite. I like that that's become a little running gig here. It's our gig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like that. So that, 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 That's on you, too. That's your creation. I dig that. Matt Fact, yeah. Matt Fiction. I'm, I'm the producer. You are the talent. <laughs> have a good team works, my friend. ExtremeHardy.com, BoxingGimmicks.com. Go check out all that stuff. So, because we need to inject some more star power into the brand, let's call on the Hardys. Why don't we? On November 21st, you and Jeff wrestle your first match together in years because Jeff has returned to WWE. And of all places, it's on an episode of ECW against the FBI's uh, Little Guido and Tony Mamaluke. I'm a big Nunzio Little Guido guy, Jersey guy. Yeah. Did, did you like uh, Nunzio? 100%, yeah. What a great dude. Good worker, too. I always thought he was very underrated. 
a super entertaining guy and just outside of wrestling, just like a, a very entertaining human being. <laughs> just a great guy to travel with. I traveled one weekend with him and Rhino, and I'll never forget how Rhino was just like, I half ass cheapskate. Every time we'd go in a restaurant, he'd say, well, blah, 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 my, this wasn't right, so can we get the meal for free? We're going to a hotel. Well, like, since we're here, we're not going to be here for the amount of time. Can we get it for free? I was like, holy fuck. You know, this guy was trying, he was trying to get everything for free the whole while. He was a total hustler, the rhino, man. I like that. That's, I've heard some fun tra- travel stories with the Dudleys and Rhino. That yeah. uh, I heard a story about them going over, like, an ice creek, and the ice gave out, and they all felt they were going to die. It's I got to figure out where that story is, but I'll, I'll tweet it out once I find well, it. Were, were they like in Northern Canada? I mean, that's it was, I think it was like Michigan somewhere up there in the winter time, which I believe is rhino territory. If I'm not mistaken, it is. So yeah. You should have known a little better there. And uh, we'll be talking about rhino on our TLC two episode in April. So be on the lookout. I, I, can, I, I can tell you this, John, everywhere we would go for the, I, I rode with those guys for one loop. And Rhino would try and either get stuff for free or for a discount every single place we went to. It was unreal. Okay. Almost to the point of where it was like embarrassing <laughs> for me, but he would, he would work so hard. He would, he wanted to get it for free or he wanted a discount. Was he successful? Uh, once in a while, you know, maybe one out of every five times. He okay. would score. That's why. Hey, listen, in baseball, that's a good batting average, man. So <laughs> <laughs> worked out. So anyway, so you guys have your first match in years. On ECW, even though neither of you are even on the ECW brand, right? How'd that decision come about to have you guys showcase there? Uh, literally, I think they were just trying to pop a number on the ECW programming. So they uh, had the return of one of their most popular tag teams of all time, the Hardys, on ECW, and and the the sole reason why was just to pop a rating. At the same time, you guys feel like a fit for the brand, Team Extreme. Of course, of course, it it makes sense that you guys would be on it, but. Instead, you're just kind of thrown there. And as we talked about last week as well, Survivor Series that year, it's you guys and DX and CM Punk. You defeat Johnny Nitro, Rated RKO, Mike Knox, and the Jurassic Sandbag in a traditional Survivor Series elimination match. And there's a press conference the next day to announce that there's going to be the December to Dismember pay-per-view, the first ECW pay-per-view since 2001. And the Hardy Boys, well, you guys announce an open challenge for the pay-per-view. And then later that night on Raw, Johnny Nitro says for one night only, he and Joey Mercury are going to reform Eminem. What do you think of the booking on that in terms of shoehorning you guys who are not members of the roster onto this pay-per-view and doing it against Eminem in particular? Uh, we were excited to wrestle Eminem. Uh, we we like those guys and we'd worked with them a couple times before and we also had good chemistry with them and we knew we'd have a great match. So considering we were going to go out and we knew we were going to have time because it was going to be a featured match and it was against Joy Mercury and Johnny Nitro, we were pretty excited about it. Uh, so I thought it would be cool. And I got to tell you, I saw you put in the notes that uh, VKM from TNA actually challenged us. I, I did not even know that, John, until oh. I read the notes. So this is a real thing. This is this is not Matt Fiction. It's a Matt Fact. So Road Dog and Billy Ass. That, 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 that had to be a Vince Russo stunt, right? I'm sure. Or 100%. Yeah. it's either a Vince Russo stunt or it's just the two of them trying to make some noise, which they right. certainly never shied away from doing. Right. They This is that era of where TNA was just taking every shot it could at Vince McMahon. Right. Left right. and right. So the Voodoo Kin Mafia 
say they'll they'll answer the open challenge anytime, any place. You tell us we'll show up to December to dismember. So you that was not even on your radar. I, I didn't even know that. Mm-hmm. I, I I had no idea until I read in the notes. Being completely being completely honest about it, I had no idea. So that that was a, that was a very cool fact that we didn't know though. Mm-hmm. Well, if we ever get Road Dog on the podcast, which I'm sure we will at some point, he's the co-host of the Oh You Didn't Know podcast here on the Podcast Heat and Ad Free Shows Network. Maybe we'll have to ask him about that ill-fated VKM challenge to the Hardy Boys. I I would love to hear the origin story behind that. VKM, Voodoo Kin Mafia. (laughs) Even the name pops me. It's just so outrageous. It's like... We it's want to do something. His name to take a shot at, at Vince McMahon. I love we, it. we want to do something with VKM. What can that stand for? Right. Out of all the things you pick, <laughs> that Kid Mafia. Yeah, you're not wrong, man. But uh, that was their later days there. So here's the the thing about that show: you guys are not on the brand, and yet you are announced for it. And we know there's going to be an extreme elimination chamber. And that is all that is announced for the show. Right. That's it. Only those two matches. Well, as a result, December to December 2006 is generally considered to be one of the worst pay-per-views in wrestling history. So so let's rewind here. You're telling me it wasn't critically acclaimed? <laughs> well, let's rewind here. <laughs> ECW One Night Stand 2005, considered to be one of the greatest shows ever. Right. December to December a year and a half later, same brand, same people involved. No one else has changed here in terms of who's booking stuff. All of a sudden, people consider this to be one of the worst shows of all time. With that said, the Hardy Boys and Eminem are generally considered to have the best match on the show. What do you remember about that night? You guys go more than 20 minutes against Eminem. You guys pick up the win. Yeah. Did we have the uh, match of the night? You had the match of the night on a card where only two matches were announced yes the mnm or the m-o-n-o-t-n yes m-o-t-n there you go uh i I remember enjoying the match i I remember i really liked the match and i remember we if i'm not mistaken we kicked off the show i think we were the first match you're the first match on the card so i remember we we like set a good mood for the whole show so we hoped it would translate and, and turn into a good show but i remember watching the show afterwards and it did not, <laughs> you know, and, and like the, the final match was, was okay. But I, I, I remember it was, it was, it was pretty much perceived as a, as a bad show internally as well. And more than anything else on that night, I do remember Paul Heyman being fired afterward. And, and I, I know you addressed that when we talked about this episode earlier, I, I do remember that and how that was like a big deal. And there was a lot of buzz around that about how he got fired. It was, it was done pretty brutally, if I'm not mistaken. What do you but, remember about it? I just remember how he was like uh, escorted out of the building and off the property. And if I'm not mistaken, I want to say like, I I feel like there was an issue where Vince said he had like been able to get like Intel. He shouldn't have been receiving and he was, they didn't know what he was doing with it or whatever the case and scenario was. But I do, I do know, I I know Vince and, and the office were very upset with him and he was escorted off the property at the end and fired. And everybody's like, whoa, this is going to be a game changer, considering there's no Paul Heyman here. Yeah, yeah. so there had been a rumor around the time. I believe Bruce Pritchard has talked about it on his podcast. So 
Paul Heyman was writing the ECW TV show, but all the ideas were then filtered through Vince. And he earlier, this, this was something that fed into this. It had happened a couple of years earlier, but it, it really soured Vince and Stephanie on him, allegedly, per the rumor and innuendo, was yes. that when he was on the SmackDown writing team, he listened into a Raw conference call that he was not invited on. Yes. And, and that led to some residual heat that when this 2006 December right. to Dismember pay-per-view happened, it was an easy decision for them to make. Yeah, I, I feel like I can confirm that. That's what I heard as well. Yes. He, he was privy of some intel that he was not supposed to know, that he wasn't supposed to be on a call or something of that matter. How'd the boys feel when Paul was let go? Uh, I would imagine the ECW original guys, I, I would imagine they were pretty bothered by it because, you know, I, I would imagine Paul would be in their corner just because they were ECW original guys. But I feel like most of the other roster was just like, oh, whatever, it's business as usual. I mean, I, I feel like that happened a lot when people would come and go. You know, nobody really really would sweat anything too much because at the end of the day, everybody's going to be taking their, you know, marching commands and their orders from Vince McMahon when it's all said and done. The downside is he loses his paycheck, all that. But the positive is he does get to go home, recharge a little bit. And you know how he's recharging, Matt Hardy? With the AG1? It would be with AG1. It is one delicious scoop that you can take every single day, and you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. It's a special blend of ingredients supporting your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy recovery, focus, and aging, all those things that Paul Heyman, I know, is very, very concerned about. Tons of people. Take some kind of multivitamin. It's important to choose one with high-quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. AG1 is a small microhabit with big-time benefits. It's one thing you can do every single day to take great care of yourself. Your subscription comes with a year's supply of vitamin D, which is so important to add as those winter months begin to approach. It also costs you less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. It's cheaper than getting all those different supplements yourself. You're investing in an all-in-one nutritional insurance. Matt Hardy, you said that you're fasting, you roll out of bed, you're going to get your workout in, but there is one thing you're putting in your body, and that's AG1. How does it get you ready for your workout in your day? It really does. Uh, the AG1 is the first thing that enters my empty stomach every single morning. And I got to tell you, we're recording this episode a little later in the day, and I think I'm going to need a double dose mm-hmm. of AG1s. I, I need to kick up my uh, my energy a little bit right now. I'm feeling down a little bit. Okay. And nothing replenishes my energy and gives me energy more than AG1. Well, right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. Just one scoop and a cup of water every single day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D. And how many free travel packs, Matt Hardy? I think it would be five, cinco, five, cinco, five free travel packs. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Hardy. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash Hardy to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And as always, we thank them for sponsoring our podcast. The AG1s are the best in the business, brother. Get it. Paul Heyman really could have used some AG1s at that time. He could have. (laughs) He definitely could have. Maybe he wouldn't have Jerry Lawler calling him the walrus or the (laughs) Paulrus or whatever he was calling him. 
throughout the years. So Heyman's out. The pay-per-view is a disaster. It, it really is a microcosm of what the ECW brand becomes. Paul Heyman had been pushing super hard for CM Punk to win the Elimination Chamber match. The crowd was super into CM Punk. Instead, it's Bobby Lashley that wins. Vince McMahon's guy. That's not, that's not against Bobby Lashley, but he's Vince McMahon's guy. That's what this all boils down to at the end of the day. So it continues to struggle in viewership. Pretty I, much. I got to tell, you, I gotta tell you, John. I got to tell you, uh, Paul Heyman from day one was a huge advocate of CM Punk. Mm-hmm. He saw something in him, and uh, lo and behold, he was obviously right. You know, because CM Punk went on to be a huge, huge deal in pro wrestling. On that show on TV too, they were a great pairing together. Yeah, they were really great. So that that was a genuine friendship that they had, and it showed. So once Paul Heyman's gone, the show pretty much changes entirely presentation it effectively is just brand number three there's even a talent exchange that starts between smackdown and ecw which you're on of course because uh the shows are taped on tuesdays what was the idea behind this how the guys feel that well you're not going to be on the smackdown show you might end up on ecw that nobody's really watching i think the talent felt as far as ECW uh, goes, I, I think they felt like it was an opportunity to be on a different show, hopefully in front of a different audience. Most people wanted to be on SmackDown because obviously it was the established show, but I think people almost accept it as a challenge if they were doing ECW. Like, can I make a platform where I become a bigger deal by appearing on this ECW show? And like, it's maybe a different audience, especially because it was on a different network at that time. So a lot a lot of the boys took it as a challenge and they, they really tried to, uh, to show off whenever they'd be on the ECW program. Knowing you, that sounds to me like that was the approach that you took. You like to try to be optimistic and look on the positive side of things. Is yes. that your approach? A hundred percent. The the glass is always half full, not half empty. So that that is always the way I look at things. Yes. Well, guess what? <laughs> you're going to get thrown into the fire here. June twenty third, two thousand eight. You're drafted to ECW while still the United States champion. This is coming off your critically acclaimed feud with MVP, not all that long before that, which we're going to talk about this year here on The Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. You bring the title to ECW. It's there for a few weeks, but you drop it shortly thereafter to Shelton Benjamin at the Great American Bash. How did you feel about the move to ECW? Was it a demotion? Was it because you're a veteran? They needed someone fresh. Did they ever give you a reason for it? Uh, I mean, I, I did take it as a challenge, and I did learn shortly thereafter I was drafted to ECW that I was going to be dropping the U S title and that I was going to win the ECW world title, the ECW heavyweight title, which I, I thought was cool. And I, I didn't look at it as a demotion. I, uh, I looked at it as I was going to get an opportunity to like be the centerpiece of a brand, which I think is a, is a great and cool opportunity. And, and it wasn't a demotion. It was a reward more than anything. So I was, I was pretty excited about it. Logistically are payouts taking a hit by moving to the ECW brand on house shows on TV. No, because you still kind of got paid the same, you know, the way things were kind of based at WWE was like, you had your downside guarantee, but if if you're doing a TV show, like, you know, if you're on SmackDown, ECW, they're on the same night on Tuesday, right? Whatever the house is, is kind of what you get paid off of. But like, if you're on the ECW house shows, when they were doing ECW exclusive house shows, then a lot of those would be shitty because they weren't attended too well. You know, so that's that that was one of the things like, oh, I, I don't know. I, my, my payday is probably not going to not be great because there's going to be a, a smaller crowd here than there's going to be on the SmackDown live event shows. So I think that was the, the main thing people were concerned about if they were on ECW. But a little later on, sometime around this area, they end up just 
they, they quit doing just ECW house shows and they combined SmackDown and ECW's house shows. Yeah, that's exactly what they did. So they put them all together there and ECW right. loses any distinct feel at that point. Uh, so immediately after you drop the U.S. title, you become number one contender for the ECW title. You beat Finlay, Miz, and Morrison in a fatal four-way. You just said that you were made aware that you're going to get a run here. This is actually your first official world title feud on WWE television, to my research and to my knowledge. Who was it that told you you'd be getting this opportunity? Was it the writing team? Was it Vince? Was it anybody else? It was from Vince. I heard specifically from Vince. I mean, he said, like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm taking you to this brand because I'm going to build the brand around you for a while. You know, he probably tried to boost me up a little bit when he did it, but it, it, he was rewarding me and he was giving me a great opportunity as well. And you just mentioned that match between Finley, uh, Miz, and Morrison. That that was my favorite match during the whole run. If you've never seen that match, I, I recommend to everyone go out and watch it. It was a really good match, a lot of fun. You like working with Finley? I, I, fit, fit was great. Fit was amazing. You know, when, when he first came from WCW, we kind of got off to a – a rough start as far as our interactions and getting along because we were kind of programmed differently. But like once I got to know him and we smoothed all that stuff out, he was the best. I enjoyed working him, man. I would work him every day and twice on Sunday. Fit Finley is an amazing performer and just so smart at how he does things. So good. It's crazy. He came in from WCW on the backstage side and then they're like, Oh no, actually go back out there. You can still work. And yeah. he, did. And, and he yeah. had some killer matches. He, he was so, so good, man, and so smart, so smooth. I loved working with Fit Finley. And he brought that little bastard Hornswoggle in with him, too. Vince's kid. Vince's kid. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. That's, uh, that's a story in and of itself one day here. On that's John. <laughs> when I look at Hornswoggle, and because he's shorter than me, he's smaller than me, and he doesn't have – his limbs aren't as long as mine. I look at him and I, I, I want to crush him. I want to destroy him. I want to eat him. And you know who taught me that? His father. His father taught me that. <laughs> People who follow this podcast, they're going to be rewarded. Pro wrestling <laughs> is best when you uh, reward them for paying attention. Right. <laughs> right? If you don't know what we're talking about, ExtremeHardy.com, my friends. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Go listen to the TLC episode, and, and you'll get the joke quickly. So you face Mark Henry at SummerSlam. He's the ECW champion at the time, and you win the match via DQ because his manager, Tony Atlas, gets involved. You just said earlier you, you liked what Mark Henry was doing here on ECW. The pairing with him and Tony Atlas is an interesting one. Right. I think this run gave him some confidence that he could be a big-time player in WWE. What did you think of it? Mark, Mark was great. Uh, he, he was. It was a pleasure to work with Mark. He was so easy, and he was so he knew what he was. He was a big guy. He he moved slow. He moved methodical, and and people bought into him with what he was doing. You know, they they bought into his act. I mean, he was always promoted as the world's strongest man, and if that's your whole gig, you need to kind of really work towards that. And he always did, and and it was so easy. And he was always down to, to, to try different things and, and, and do new stuff with me. And he really knew how to sell for guys that were smaller that could kind of move and, and would like kind of, uh, you know, dance around them, you know, and that's what I would do with him. So he was great, man. The Hall of Pain stuff that he did was awesome. Absolutely awesome. And, and I'm so glad that it gave him a second yeah. lease on life in WWE because that it really... jacket, man, that jacket, everybody remembers the jacket, right? The salmon, the salmon jacket. 
I, that retirement angle is one of the greatest segments in Raw history. Yeah. It's incredible. It's I'd like to see you in the salmon suit. I think you could rock it. <laughs> right. Big Money Matt would rock a, uh, rock a salmon suit. Yeah. What do you think of Tony Atlas with him? Any fun Tony Atlas stories? Uh, I got one. I, I enjoy, I'm sure. I, I enjoyed working with Tony. One of my most fond memories of Tony was we were taking a charter flight uh, from uh, a round of house shows, probably somewhere in Maine or in the Northeast, somewhere down to uh, somewhere in the middle of America, right? Central USA. And I'll never forget, he had a laptop. And on this laptop, he had a, a DVD where he had some woman like kicking the shit out of his face and, and stepping on him. You know, that was, that was his thing. And I remember he just passed it around and he showed it to everyone in every single seat. And that was his thing. That's one of, my, one of my most outrageous Tony Atlas stores. You know, he just, he was so proud of it. Yeah. He's known for his foot fetish, but he, of course. And, 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 and you know, this deal, you know, this deal. So he's a Maine guy. Okay. He's from Maine. I think he's from the Portland area. I, I feel like we were in that area where we were taking yeah. a charter view. But I just remember the laptop with the DVD, very specific. And, you know, the, the lady, once again, was stomping the shit out of his face with his foot. And he was very excited about it. He found he was he, he was experiencing euphoria and he was very proudly showing it to each and every person on the plane. And then he gave out his Tony Atlas laugh. <laughs> Here's my Tony Atlas story. Yeah. Ready? Yeah. So John Alba is about eight months into his foray into pro wrestling. He, he's, uh, he's been working, he's been working super small Indies, super small Indies in front of like 30, 40 people with a guy named uh, the promoter's name was Eric Johnson. He had been trained a little bit by Tony. He was working in Chikara a little bit. Savio Vega trained him. So, right. so he was a little, he was, he had some notoriety and he knew Tony really well. And whenever Tony would do appearances or places, he was like Tony's handler. Okay. So wow. there's a Comic-Con in Bangor and there's a bunch of wrestlers are there. And I'm like, okay, I can find a sports tie-in. I'm a sports director at the ABC Fox affiliate there. And I go to interview. I, I called the guy, Eric. I'm like, Hey, could I speak to Tony Atlas and air a bite with him on our newscast? He's like, yeah, sure. No problem. Come on over. So I go over there. I'm on a tight deadline here. I'm on air at like six o'clock. I'm over there at four fifteen. So I got to interview him. I got to cut it up and get it on TV and get back to the station. So uh, I go to interview Tony and I'm asking him questions. And I'm like, you know, Tony has a feel to be here at the Bangor Comic Con. Right. Well, you know, I feel really good to be here at the, at the Bangor Comic Con. Yeah. I'm, I'm really happy to be here with the. And I'm like, well, that's a hell of an impersonation, too. <laughs> well, it, this is what it sounds like. Right. So I'm like, okay, that's a little odd that he sounds like that. And I'm like, uh, so, yeah, being from Maine, seeing how pro wrestling is trying to flourish in the area, how's it feel to be back part of it? Well, the wrestling's had a hard time over the uh, the last three years here. I'm, uh, Maine. I'm just trying to do my best to, to get things up. I'm like, okay, something is really fucked up here. So I pretend that I'm getting a buzz on my phone. And I go, I'm like, hey, can, can you wait like two seconds? I got to take this quick call. Work, work's calling me. I got to go take this. So I go off to the side and mosey off. And I find Eric and I go, did he have like a stroke or something? Like what is, what the fuck is going on? Because he's, he's slurring his speech. He's not being clearly, I, I, I can't put this on TV. Like none of this can go on television. 
especially if I'm like making fun of someone who had like a handicap or something like that. I can't do that. And he goes, <laughs> he's just fucking with you, man. Like he's just, he's just, he's just fucking with you. He sees you as a young kid and he's just fucking with you. I'm like, okay, but I need to get this on TV in like an hour and a half and I don't have time for this. So I go up to him, I go, Tony, I appreciate the good natured rib, but uh, I can't put any of this on TV if you're going to talk like this. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry about that. I, I thought that I could just fuck with you a little bit. I'm like, okay, great. Let's talk. So we're talking, we're talking, we're talking. I'm like, any last words? And he goes, I just hope you have a fun day after this. And I'm like, <laughs> fuck this. I'm like, I'm done. I'm done. And I just slam my equipment shut and I just get the hell out of there. It, I can appreciate wow. a good rib, Matt Hardy, but that was... Under those circumstances, I was not happy. Brother, we're doing TV here, brother. We're doing TV. Exactly. So, yeah, but but that's that's kind of the guy that Tony Atlas is, right? He's just kind yeah. of all that. So and, 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 John, if I'm not mistaken, that SummerSlam match was, like, super short. It was – I feel like I, I, like, Mark Henry jumps on me and he, like, misses a splash in the corner and I twist evade him and I'm going to pin him. And then Tony pulls out the ref, and then Jeff comes down, and we lay out Tony and, and Mark. I, 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 yep. I feel like it's very short. Is that right? It was 33 seconds. Yeah. I, I, it's crazy that I remember that. But I, I, I remember it was like SummerSlam. I was like, oh, man, this is going to be so cool to you know, have a good match with Mark Henry on this show. Hopefully we'll have some decent time. But it was like instantaneous and a DQ. Well, I, 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 I very vividly remember that. I have a hypothesis as to why it was so short. Because you know who followed you up after that? Who's that? Well, hell, if Matt Hardy's out here taking all my TV time, how the hell am I going to have a World Heavyweight Championship match with CM Punk? Oh, <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> well, Matt Hardy, I cannot wait to watch your exciting disqualification match tonight. I can't wait to follow it. It is going to be absolutely outstanding, young man. Yeah, JBL did the job okay. for CM Punk right after you, so that that explains it a little bit. There you go. Oh my God. Yeah. Your time he cut for CM Punk couldn't beat him in less than twenty minutes. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that must have been an interesting dynamic, Mister Straight Edge and JBL. Oh my God! <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I, I would have enjoyed being a, a fly on the wall while they were putting that together. <laughs> what the hell's a Pepsi plunge? <laughs> <laughs> So you get a rematch. What kind of freak are you? Well, hell. I have fun doing this show with you. You get a rematch on the next ECW, but Atlas interferes again. So this leads you into a championship scramble match at Unforgiven. It's you, Mark Henry, Miz, Chavo Guerrero, and Finlay. And the scramble, the concept of it is... Guys enter in different intervals, with the match ultimately ending at the 20-minute mark no matter what. And whoever's the last to pick up a fall is the champion. This is an interesting concept here. How difficult was it to put together a match like that? It, it, was, it was tricky. I remember it was very, very difficult. And th there'd never been one before, so we were kind of like breaking new ground. Obviously. And you're the first match of the night, so you guys are the first one. Yeah, yeah, we we are the first scramble match. Oh, by the way, Matt fact, Matt won the first scramble match in WWE history. 
There you go. Uh, yeah, I, I actually debated on, on making that the Mad Fact, but I had the other one. I really now we got two. So now we got two. I love it. People love the Mad Facts here. They do. Um, it, it it was tricky. It was a it was an interesting concept, and and I dug the fact uh, I dug the fact that they tried something, uh, you know, out of the box. You know, they were they were trying something new and something different. But but it was cool. And my favorite part of that match was that, if I'm not mistaken, after I got that last pinfall where I was you know the current champion or you know whatever however it was represented, I remember I kept breaking up every single near fall that happened after that, and for like three minutes, and it was a sprint. It was like, bro, I remember like being like, so like winded towards the end of that because it was an absolute sprint. Like, and I said, like, I want you guys to like cover, 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 cover. I just want to be trying to save my ass the whole while. Yeah. That was the last three minutes of the match. Was you just doing uh, that? It was. Yeah. That, that's mm -hmm. what I thought. It seemed like it was three, four minutes. So yeah, uh, it is not super well received by people. It, it and yeah. I watched it. It, it kind of comes off as a little bit of a mess. But again, you guys are the first ones doing something like this. And right. you actually come pretty close. I think you guys go 20 minutes and four seconds. So you come really close to actually hitting the 20-minute mark where the match is going to end. Because you got to time those near falls super, super quick in that stuff. And it, 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 It's interesting that we actually didn't go 20 minutes. You would think, like, legitimately, they would have just went 20 minutes on the nose, Right. You would think that, but opposed to twenty-four, I mean, like, because once again, once you have your end result and the last person who scores the pinfall, who's going to be the winner of the match, I mean, if it's twenty minutes flat or twenty oh four, it's not going to change the result. So that's that's weird that it wasn't specifically well, twenty you know, minutes on the WWE, Time in WWE is subjective, <laughs> right? Two minute intervals in the Royal Rumble, bang bang. Right, right, right. right, right. Oh. That that does not always happen. <laughs> we do know that. So I think something similar may have happened here. Dave gives it two and a quarter stars. He he did say that uh, Matt Stryker referenced the match as uglier than a bowling shoe. Uh -oh. Not great, but it, it certainly had a, a smorgasbord of uh, uh, doings in this match. Hornswoggle would go under the ring in this. It's a bit of a, ma a mess, but here's the positive, Matt Hardy. We like being optimistic here. The crowd reacts pretty big to you winning the world title. It's something they wanted to see. And guess what? This journey that we've been chronicling here on the extreme life of Matt Hardy since January 7th, you are finally a world champion in WWE. And no one can take that away from you. It's a pretty atrocious looking title, <laughs> but it's a world title. How did all that feel? Uh it, it, I mean, obviously, it was an honor. You know, whenever you are chosen to be the champion of a brand, that's a that's a great honor, and, and you feel very validated and rewarded. And also, if I'm not mistaken, you can probably look this up. It was in Philadelphia, I, I think. Uh, don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure it was in Philadelphia. And considering I got such a great babyface reaction, it was in Cleveland. It was in Cleveland. Cleveland. Yep. Oh, okay. Well, it was in Cleveland. Uh, so so you can quote me on that. I was wrong. It was in Cleveland, but that's also a crowd that is very tough as well. So I remember just, just winning and getting that reaction in Cleveland. Uh, and they were very enthusiastic about me winning was felt special as well. So it was it's nice to know whenever you're over with the crowd. That's that's the biggest barometer and if, if you're truly over or not, the the live crowd. Your tease last week was that you had some pretty bad airport stories about trying to drag the CW championship through TSA. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it was big. It was just like the the it, it seemed like the front of a car grill. 
<laughs> you know, that main plate on the, on the deal. And I, I thought it was cool how it was silver and it, and it looked different and it was just huge. And it was so heavy, so big and so heavy. And it didn't fold well. Like most of the other titles, especially their main faceplate, are smaller and, and they fold better. This one just did not fold and would like stick out of your bag. I literally had to get a bigger carry-on bag to make sure that I could carry this this belt on with me at all times, you know, because that's that's the rule. When you're a champion, you're never supposed to check the belt so it doesn't get lost. So I would carry this with me all the time, and it was a massive headache carrying this ECW title around. You go on to have title matches over the next few months with Finlay, Shavo, and Mark Henry as well. And while you're doing that whole loop there with these guys, Jeff wins the WWE Championship. The two Hardy Boys from Backwoods, North Carolina, are world champions together in WWE. How special was that for you guys? Very, very cool, man. Very cool moment. And and I, we both realized it. You know, we, we were recognizing uh, – I, I, I say this all the time, but like we were recognizing the good days while we were in them. We knew that was like a good day. Like not only had we been very well established as a tag team and won the tag team titles multiple times, but just to both have singles, heavyweight championships, single world titles, you know, that, that was a very cool moment. I know we took a lot of pictures with that. And I look back on those moments in that time with a lot of pride. Now, you're wrestling those guys, but there's one person in particular you're working a lot with every single night, in fact. You have 13 yeah. house show matches before it even makes it to TV, and that's on January 12th, 2009, where you face Jack Swagger. And he beats you for the ECW championship. Were you given the edict to go make him? It's obvious that someone saw something in J Jake Hager there. I know Jim Ross was a really big proponent of him. Uh, what did you think of working him in those matches? He was really young in his career at that time. Uh, well, you nailed it. I was given an edict to make him. That was my job, to like uh, get him ready for prime time. They were very high on him, and my, my job was to make him when it was all said and done. And also, I know they had me drop the title. At one point, they were going to have me drop the title at the Royal Rumble, but they decided to have me drop it earlier on TV and then lose again at the Royal Rumble, and they felt like that would help motivate me more to turn on Jeff, which I did later that night as well, because I was so frustrated. Uh, a little backstory behind all that. But no, I, I enjoyed working uh, working Jake. Uh, Jack Swagger was, uh, he is uh, a great athlete. And he's one of the guys, like I said, like you feel that he's real, much like if you wrestle Kurt or Brock, he's like a real guy and the real deal. And it, uh, just a cool dude as well. We also got along really well and became really good friends after that also. Did he take to your teachings here the sensei of matitude dropping some lessons on him he was cool with that yeah very much so man and there, there was a time where our travel group was myself jack swagger ray mysterio and our truth that that is like wow that's a car <laughs> one of the funnest years of my life all four of us traveled together we had such a great time that is a car right there yeah. wow our truth legitimately one of the funniest guys in wrestling history for sure yeah and, and one thing, too, I want to credit uh, Jake Hager with, or Jack Swagger. He is the guy that turned me on to Kings of Leon, uh, oh, which yeah. ultimately became one of my favorite bands, you know, because he's, you know, uh, he's all about the Oklahoma, and those guys are from Oklahoma, and he turned me on to that music. Uh, he played, you know, I, I want to say that's around the time, like, Sex on Fire that's and somebody got real hot, but he, he, like, played, you know, Cold Desert for me, and some of their other earlier songs like, holy shit, these guys are, are really, really cool. Yeah. And, he, he is the guy that introduced me to Kings of Leon. So without Jack Swagger, I wouldn't have become a huge Kings of Leon fan. 
they're very Pearl Jammy. So I'm not I'm not surprised yeah. to hear yeah. that you like Kings of Leon quite a bit. That's, and that's they're they're also they're like me and Jeff. They're from the backwoods and shit in the middle of the forest in the middle of nowhere. So it's it's uh it was really easy to to dig those guys. When you're working with a guy 13 straight house shows in a row, do you really see a young guy like him make progress in a string of matches like that? Yeah. And, and I think you see him make progress when he starts listening to the crowd and kind of working off the crowd. And that, that's one of the, that's one of the hardest guys. That, that's one of the hardest things for guys to learn in pro wrestling to like, listen to the crowd and like feed off the crowd. Because like at the end of the day, the crowd dictates what we do in the ring. And it's very important to, to, to follow them and, and go on what they are doing and what they are reacting to. And over the course of those 13 matches, he, uh, he grew massively. And he really started listening to the crowd. Well, that largely does it for your time in ECW outside of a, a few matches here or there. Uh, CLP would actually return to WWE shortly after. He redebuts on ECW of all places. Christian, who was a big-time star in TNA. He was top guy in TNA for a period of time. He was a extremely important guy for your whole Attitude Era run and everything. He returns on ECW, and part of me feels like that's a rib, but the other part of me says, okay, let's go throw our veteran out there and see what right. he can do. And, and he actually beats Jack Swagger for the championship. What do you remember about him returning to WWE after years away there? I mean, just like you said, it, it really was a veteran presence on okay. the show okay. to help the younger and new guys. And I feel like, you know, I leave and they insert Christian, and he he's a – He's an amazing talent, uh, super great at what he does, and he can help young guys learn. And that's that's why he was put there. And he was rewarded by being the ECW champion as well. You're in a good Christian mood today, huh? I, I am in a good Christian mood, yes. Okay, gotcha. Christian, Christian AF, you may even say. <laughs> what does COP stand for, John? Refresh my memory, please. I, I forget. Oh, you forget too? Yeah, I forgot. So you're forgetting now? I was actually given an edict that I'm not allowed to say what the P stands for. Oh yeah. And, yeah. Came down in a, in a memo from the, from the powers that be. Jack Perry, you caused too much trouble, John Alba. <laughs> Creepy little pussy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and now I just got docked another $10,000. Thanks, yeah, Matt Hardy. That's a good little spot for you, man. Go check out Cameo. John Alba's on there. I got to make that back up. You got to make back that money, that fine That's money. Right. The show was brought to an end February 16, 2010. is replaced by the first version of NXT. Uh, it lost a ton of steam. It was doing like half the viewership numbers that it was doing before the premiere. Yeah. But I want to know, in your opinion, was this version of ECW ultimately a success or a failure? Because there are guys that came into it that did come out better out of it. But then there's also the flip side of that. Right. What do you think? There were certainly guys that benefited from ECW being around. And I, I, I don't even know, like, the whole reason ECW was brought there, they were just trying to get another television show to bring in more money. So obviously it, it made money. And there, there was a station that, that paid for it. And, you know, they 
they made money off the show. So I guess that equates to being a success. You know, as time went on, as you said, I do remember when the ratings dipped a lot and it dropped and then it started to fade away and classify itself as obsolete. So th there was a time there where it made money and there were some guys that came in like CM Punk's, you know, that did really well there. there there's some young guys that actually made a name for themselves on ECW. So uh, it, it was a bit of uh, it was a bit of a success at times. And ultimately, at the end, it, it faded away and, and failed, I guess. Who was made most by this version of ECW? Got to be punk, right? Got to be. It's got to be punk. Yeah. Like, even thinking through it, I mean, it, it, it has to be. Yeah. CM yeah. Punk. I mean, because that's where he really like rose to relevance in WWE. Yeah. Got to be punk. It, and it's also crazy. We didn't even talk about this because I don't really care to talk too much about it. But that's where Chris Benoit's last match is in ECW which is yeah. crazy. Yeah. And yeah. Kurt had a run on ECW too that we didn't even talk about, which yeah, true. Yeah. I, I actually really liked Kurt's run on ECW. It's really short, but the wrestling machine character I liked a lot. So yeah, it's pretty weird. There's some very odd chapters in the tome of many of these careers. Vince McMahon was an ECW champion. Too. Vince McMahon was an ECW yeah. champion wearing a do-rag. Yeah. Let that sink in, that visual, yeah. just a little bit there. Uh, you you told Rebby about the John Cena story, so. <laughs> I still cannot believe that. <laughs> I can't. The John Cena in the Booker T story, and she's yeah. blown away by it. She can't believe that was on TV in 2006 or 2007, whatever it was. Let's get to some ass mats before we wrap up here, Matt. Uh, Richie asks, what was the biggest pro and con Matt got from being ECW champion? The, the biggest pro that I got was just feeling out I was being rewarded, you know, for, for my hard work and my loyalty. And, and anytime I almost feel like when you win a championship title, it's almost like you win the Oscar or the Emmy, you know, they're, they're giving you an award for like putting in all these great performances. And that, that was the biggest pro of being the ECW champion. I'd say the biggest con was, uh, the, the ECW soul house shows that our own, uh, the, the, the minimized paydays, <laughs> that, that would be the biggest cons anytime. Yeah. I was. Yeah. I, I feel you entirely yeah. on that. Uh, your boy, Matty P who won a signed championship yeah. belt from What's you. Up, Matty P? Big shout out today on the extreme life. What match had been Matt's favorite defense of the ECW championship. You got to work with Shavo. I imagine working with Shavo was pretty fun. Yeah. Um, I, I Mark Henry was great at this time, and we had awesome house show matches. I, I thought it was really good. I mean, it might not be the match that wrestling fans, AW yeah. fans in 2022 would want, but they were really good, solid matches. Uh, the match I had with him at No Mercy, we actually got to have a little bit of time, and my match with Mark Henry at No Mercy. And I, I finally cleanly beat him with a twist of fate. That was probably my favorite match, favorite title defense. Let's see. In, in that match, you were not followed by – <laughs> so that's that's uh so i actually got time you had more time than jbl that night there you have it you had eight minutes eight seconds he had five minutes 18 seconds against big dave batista oh there we have it okay yeah and you were sent out there to start the pay-per-view too so yeah and the crowd the crowd was red hot too i I, awesome. I, I remember that match that the crowd was so hot and enthusiastic and Mark and I, we were really hitting hitting it on every cylinder. You know, we, we killed it that night. I, I like that match a lot. 
Good question from Ryan here. He says, happy September, Matt. ECW and WWE saw a lot of young talent who did not go very far in WWE afterwards, such as Yoshi Tatsu and Ezekiel Jackson. Were there, were, were there any of them you thought highly of that you wish had gotten a better push or would have done better in a later time period? Shannon Moore had a chance when he was doing the Prince of Punk on ECW. And, and I really wish Shannon would have got a better opportunity because he was really good at that time. And if they would have like really devoted some time and a little bit of effort behind pushing him, I think Shannon Moore could have done really well in there. He's someone I would have liked to have seen get a better better spot on ECW programming. Yoshi Tatsu seems like he was a fun guy to be around. Yeah, yeah that's funny that you just brought that name up. I hadn't even thought about him in forever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Bryant asked, at this point, WWE, CW had become a third brand that had a lot of younger talent that WWE wanted to get TV exposure. How much pressure and responsibility did Matt put on himself as champion to lead the young talent and get them ready for bigger things? Uh, I mean, I, I did put a lot of responsibility on myself. I mean, that, that was my job. That's why I was put in there. I was uh, on the ECW brand to be that veteran presence and, and help build young guys, you know, as we are just talking about with Jack Swagger. So, yeah, I, I did take a lot of pride in it, and, and I enjoy doing that as well, you know, and that's what I'm doing more now in my career than ever before. So I do take a lot of pride in doing that, and I did then as well. Let's get a few more here. Josh says, Matt, having won the ECW title and championship scramble match, what are your thoughts on that stipulation? Do you feel like it's a legitimate title reign if you score a pin in the match but don't finish the match as the champion? Because if we're going by those rules, then Brian Kendrick was a WWE champion at some point too. Yeah, I, no, I, I only think you're officially a champion if you are the one who has garnered the, the final pinfall <laughs> and you have won the title. You know, I, I think it's an interesting match, interesting concept, but like you said, it's also kind of a clunky match. You have a lot of guys in the ring at one time, and it can become confusing as well. You know, so it, it was an interesting concept, and I applaud WWE for trying something different and thinking out of the box, but it's kind of a, a clunky concept. It also weakens the concept of a pin or a submission, in my opinion. Yeah. Like a, a normal great, great, match, great, great call. Great point, John. A normal singles match is built around the lead-up to the pinfall, right? right? Or the submission. And if you're just having them happen left and right, yeah, that's yeah. why I don't love two out of three falls matches because it's something similar on a, a lesser degree as well. Right. You're, you're basically saying, well, the first fall that – every other match builds towards here. It doesn't really matter all that much because you have to get to another one. Yeah, so, no, you're, you're, you're right. That's a great point, John. Yeah, I, I just it doesn't hit with me. We got two more here, Matt. Uh, Bill Pritchard from WrestleZone says, uh, general thoughts on the ECW title plates being silver instead of gold? I, I mean, I, I, I dug the silver. I, I just I liked it because it was different. Mm -hmm. uh, it was an interesting title. Uh, once again, it was just so big and so hard to carry around. It, it was a huge hassle to have to travel with and carry with. But but I, I dug that they tried something different and they, they made it silver. Our final question comes to us from Austin. How proud were your family and friends that you were the ECW world champion and Jeff was WWE champion and it was all worth it? I mean, the person who was probably the most proud of us was our dad, which is really cool, you know, because when we first started wrestling and we were doing indie wrestling, as you know, John, we're traveling all up and down the East Coast and we're not making any money. We're actually paying more than we're bringing in, you know, to, to actually travel and, and do these events and whatnot. And our dad was our biggest critic. But after we succeeded and made it and won the tag team championships, like uh, our dad thought it was the greatest thing ever. And he became our biggest fan. But for him to see that both of his boys, too, like one individual 
world heavyweight titles on their own. He was super proud of us. And just to be able to give him those titles and take pictures with him, I will always hold those very dear to my heart. It was very special just for that reason. Our dad was so, so proud of us when, when we were champions. The legend was a bit of a mark for his sons when they won the gold. <laughs> he did. He, he dug it. And it that's was so a, a good bragging point that he could tell to the ladies. And he would invite there, them you, there you go. That, that's what I was waiting for. There you go. Those 3 a.m. phone calls paying off. <laughs> All right. Yeah, man. I love hey, you. Who, who the hell is this? It's Sandman. Who? <laughs> who the hell is this? <laughs> Crazy scenario, man. I love it, man. That's so awesome. Well, I, I thought this was a really fun look back at, at a pretty unique time period in your career. And I, I love talking about ECW. ECW yeah. is folklore in wrestling, and it still resonates with so many people. So I can't imagine we'll hit on it too many other times on this podcast. So I'm glad we got an episode in devoted to that. It's fun. It was fun. And I like again, when we, go off, when we go off the beaten path. With Please. Oh, we're going to be doing that a lot here. I, 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 I like to try to get a little creative with yeah. some of these things that you talk about, because the thing is, and I'm glad you brought that up because people have asked me about this. They're like, well, how many times can you talk about TLC matches? How many times can you talk about that? And that's true, right? There's only so many unique matches that we can talk to. But sure. what I love about doing this show with you, and it's what I tell everybody, is that you have such great insight from having worked in so many places for so many years and even if it may seem a little unorthodox that you're talking about it, like maybe CM Punk, you have some great perspective to offer. So that's why we go down that path and try some of these other topics, because you do have good stuff to offer. And uh, later this year, we're going to celebrate your 30 years in wrestling. And there are some surprises set for that episode that even you don't know about. Oh, but boy. I do. So I well, when this airs, we're going to be five weeks away. Yeah, we are pretty close, my friend. So get ready for that because we're going to have some surprises there. And as Matt and I said, we want to see your reviews. We want you to send them to us. You got to leave those five stars. And not only will you be entered to win a free video from Matt Hardy and I, but we might even read it on the show. Like this one from WFD346 says gold. Everything John Alba touches turns to gold. And then you are Matt Hardy. That makes this podcast wonderful. I think he meant to say wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. The stories that are talked about is a great and unique look into one of these best eras of professional wrestling. No doubt about that. So thank you for that little review there. It was five stars, and we'll read them every single week here on the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. Matt Hardy, that does it for us here on this episode. Anything else you'd like to add, my friend? No, man, this was fun. I, I, I dig these episodes. Uh, and, 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 and I dig, too, being able to, like, give you insight into some of the crazy little stories, just like the Sandman calling our dad when Jeff and I were just breaking into the business at 3 o'clock in the morning, probably drunk out of his mind, right? Uh, you know, or telling you the story that myself and Jack Swagger and Ray Mysterio and R-Truth traveled together for a year. What a fun group that was. You know, the, the, these are fun, man. And I and hopefully, hopefully it translate, translates to the wrestling fans that are, that are listening to us. I even got to tell a road story today about Tony Atlas pretending he had a stroke. So that's <laughs> well, well, hell. Lord, man. well, hell, that does it for us here on the extreme life of Matt Hardy. Check us out. Extremehardy.com and adfreeshows.com. The words have been spoken. We'll see you next time.
Listen, man, I know it sounds too good to be true, but I want you to just do me a favor and run on over to savewithconrad.com. Get yourself a quick quote. My man, Andy M just left us a five-star review over at conradreviews.com. And he had this to say, the effort and communication from Josh was above and beyond. We ran into several unexpected hiccups along the way, but Josh kept us informed and kept looking for options to get things done. In the end, we were still able to refinance to a 15 year loan, where we're going to be able to pay it off in 10. And we took enough cash out to pay off our credit cards, my truck loan, and even buy my wife, her very first new vehicle. We're going to save over $500 a month from what we would have been paying without the refinance. We can't thank everyone enough. Now guys, that right there is a win, win, win situation. Let me explain over the last couple of years, your house is probably worth more than ever. Now, what you do with that equity is up to you. And what I'm going to recommend is we do what our man, Andy did. Andy took himself from a 30 year loan down to 15 years, but he's planning to pay it off in 10. Now, how can he afford to do that? We got rid of all his credit card debt. Just like that. We got rid of his truck loan and we even got him enough cash to get his wife, a new vehicle. The result, cheaper monthly payments. How does that happen? How do you get a new car, pay off a truck and get rid of your credit cards and cut years off your loan? You go to savewithconrad.com. We're going to get you cheaper monthly payments. And how's this for starters? No house payments for the next two months. That's right. You can skip your next two payments. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And buddy, if we can't help you save some cash, we won't waste your time. And here's the best part. We don't say no. We say not yet, but here's how. I don't care if you relate here or there. Maybe you had a bankruptcy back in the day. Maybe you relate on a credit card. We're going to help you figure out how to get in the situation that your family needs now and long-term. We want to be your mortgage advisor for life at savewithconrad.com.